Welcome to A Dose of Mind and Body, your audio prescription to anything pharmacy, mental health, and fitness or lifestyle habits. My name's Miriam. I am a pharmacist who loves to share my experiences with you all. With a step-by-step on how to implement these new strategies, stories from my own experiences, and more to help you get from where you are now to where you want to be and be the best version of yourself possible. I am your host. Let's get into today's episode. Hey, everyone. On today's episode, we have a special guest, Iman, who's going to share with us her somatics coaching and what she does exactly. First off, I want to thank her for taking the time today to have this interview with me and talk to me about what she does and share with you all. Um, So, Iman, how are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm so glad to have you here. So I just wanted you to share a little bit about yourself and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So my name is Iman Bundawi. I am a somatic coach uh, practitioner. I do trauma-informed healing um, and also just general uh, personal transformation. Um, I'm also an attorney. Um, I, um, doing social justice advocate, advocacy and civil rights work and um, and I'm figuring out how to integrate the two um, yeah how do we um, integrate a care and an attention to what's happening outside in the out in the world mm-hmm. in terms of injustices environmental injustice social injustice and integrate that with our personal transformation because they're linked we can't transform ourselves uh, but ignore what's happening in the world and we can't help transform the world if we're not working on ourselves and so um i'm really curious about the intersection between the two and how we do both um better Wow, that's super interesting. I wouldn't have ever thought of combining the two. That's very neat. I would love to see how that ends up coming together. Um, Can you tell us, for people who don't know what somatics is necessarily, what it actually means, broken down? Yeah, absolutely. So the soma, um, the definition of the word soma, is the whole system, the mind, body, spirit, And so somatics is this belief that when you are working on self-transformation, when you are working to develop yourself, to grow, uh, to heal, um, that there is not a dichotomy or a separation between the mind and the body. That in fact, you have to work with the whole system, your mind, your body, your spirit, your soul, your heart, your intentions, your actions, your behavior, your thoughts, all of that together um, is uh, is the the source of transformation, um, and so inside of somatic coaching, we don't just look at mental perspective. For example, we don't just look at um, uh, mental thoughts or narratives. We look at how those narratives express in behavior 
how the narratives that we have in our head about ourselves show up in the way that we move in the world, show up in the way that we interact with other people, show up in the way that we react under pressure. And so um, all of that together to say that somatic coaching is a holistic approach to transformation. It's a holistic approach to healing um, and a holistic approach to developing the best self. Um, so when we're trying to go from, you know, surviving to thriving, when we're trying to go from stuckness to more openness, when we're trying to go from a deep state of anxiety or depression um, <clears throat> or despair to more aliveness, more hope, we are not separating the mind and the body. We are bringing the whole system online and working with the whole system, the whole soma, uh, to achieve that. Wow, that's so neat and interesting. I feel like um, when you talk about therapy, it's always one thing or the other, not the two together. So um, what you do, I feel like, is very different and unique, and I feel like anyone can benefit from it because you need the two for you to kind of get that equal equal equilibrium is what I'd like to call it so can you go over what a typical program is like with you and per se a client that you have yeah sure you know one of the, one of the most important things um, uh, entering and stepping into this kind of work and when I do that with with a client or uh, someone I love that I'm working with is what are you looking for what are your goals? Um, what brings you here? And um, so identifying the what is, is a really uh, important first step. So that's kind of where we start. Um, it's not going well, right? What are you trying to heal? What are you trying to fix? What are you trying to transform? Um, and then we go to why. Like, why does that matter? And most people's why is a combination of like, I just can't do it like this anymore. Yeah. Like I just, I can't anymore. There's like an impatience that people start to feel with their bad habits or what we're calling bad habits or uh, toxic behaviors or harmful self-talk, whatever it is, most people reach a limit, a threshold. And um, most people reach that in their late 20s, early 30s, where they just yeah. can't take it anymore. Yeah. And it's like something's got to give. And But we really try to get to a heartful why. Like, um, because I want to be at peace or content, um, because I want to show up to my relationships in a more loving way. Um, so we, we try to identify like, why are you doing this for the sake of what? Um, and once we get that, we kind of have uh, what we call like a commitment. All right, so this is what you're committing to, right? What are you wanting to transform? What are you wanting to change? And we hold that commitment as the foundation of the work that we do. So that whenever things get hard, whenever someone feels like, oh, I got derailed, there was this one interaction with my family member or whatever, and I feel like it threw me back to the beginning. You're never coming to ground zero. You're always coming back to that foundation that you start to build of this is why I'm doing this. This is why this matters. Um, 
and I'm willing to work hard because when we don't have a reason why we're willing to work hard, we don't. But when we have a good, heartful, aligned reason for why we're willing to put in the work, whenever we kind of get derailed, there's a there's a cushion to land on. And so from that foundation, we start to build the walls, right? We start to build the walls of the house. And it's like, what are the behaviors that get in the way of fulfilling that or becoming that person? So maybe somebody comes in with a really big issue around anger or impatience. So we start to notice and analyze how does that come up in the body? The impatience, the anger, we start to notice how the system, the body responds under pressure. And once you get really good at noticing, then you can start interfering in that behavior and creating new practices that help you show up in a different way. So A lot of what we do is practice, 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 practice. We create scenarios that ordinarily would bring up that old behavior and we try to practice the new behavior. And we do that enough times until that new behavior becomes a very real option in the body. So now when there's a real scenario of pressure, You don't just go to that default anger and patience. There's another option in the body. The muscles remember something new. They're like, oh yeah, I practiced this like 15 times last month with Iman. That's how I do that. This is how I interfere and intervene in the process of getting angry and impatient and find a new approach find a new behavior under real pressure. And when we do that enough times, we become we become the new behavior. That's what embodiment is about. We start to embody the thing we care about. So someone can say, I value being patient. I really want to be patient. They can talk about it all they want, but then the real scenario hits and it's like, what you say to me? (laughs) And when we embody the value of patience, it's when that pressure comes in and someone is like, you know, and you're like, oh, I'm good right? That's what embodiment is about. That's what somatics tries to do. Somatics is the work and the process for us to embody the things that we value, the things that we care about, the things that matter most under pressure. That's it. Um, you know, and, um, I, I, the, the lineage that I kind of come from in terms of somatics, the somatic lineage is from the Strozzi Institute. And one thing that the founder of that institute always says is it takes 300 repetitions to kind of break that old behavior and 3000 repetitions to become a master, to become masterful to wow. embodiment. So we are talking about a lot of reps. Yeah, that's right? a lot. Yeah. And I, I always love to talk about, to use this example, talk about like the gym. It's the same thing. Yeah. You're building a muscle, right? It doesn't mm-hmm. you like, you can't just do five reps and it's like, oh, I got this new muscle. Yeah. Like, it, <laughs> you know, you're, you work out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 300 reps, 300 times of interfering with that. And by the way, that goes by quickly because we get triggered like 15 oh, times yeah. a day. Okay? All the time. <laughs> 15 times a day. I swear in a month, 
you can develop that new muscle and that new habit. And then you keep working that muscle over and over again. How, what does it look like to show up under pressure with less anger, with more patience, with more compassion, do it over and over and over and over again. And suddenly you're the master of that thing. Suddenly the anger doesn't live in your body. Your brain starts to go to a different choice. Your body starts to make a different choice without you thinking about it. This is the key. What we do under pressure is 100% the indicator of who we are, okay? What we do when things are chill and calm Mm -hmm. and good, (laughs) anyone can be chill and calm and good when you're on the beach in Mexico, Uh okay? What we're talking about here is building um, deeply resilient skills for being in the world, in the real world, right? When mom is sick and when, you know, I'm in a fight with my brother and when, you know, someone is calling me in the middle of the day and then I'm on the phone for an hour and a half and I missed, you know, Uh the real stuff, the real stuff. How are we showing up to the real stuff? Oh my God. That is what we embody today. And then there's a question, what do we want to embody? Well, whatever you want to embody, start practicing and do it 300 times and then do it 3,000 times and then come and tell me that it doesn't work. <laughs> literally, that's literally amazing because it's, it's just all about repetition, teaching your body a new habit and actually yes. practicing it when you're under pressure. And it's, it's, it's going to take time. It's not going to happen overnight. And I think that's a common theme. People want like a quick fix, an easy fix and working on yourself no such is thing. not going to be like one to a hundred like it does not work that way yeah and you know the way I the way I like to uh, remind people is like what you're doing today the way you are today just take take a a screenshot of yourself under pressure okay how are you showing up under pressure you've been doing that for 30 Uh, years yeah you've been practicing that for 20 years, 15 years, whatever it is, when that thing started to show up in your body and Uh you started to get really impatient or anxious, track that timeline. That's what you've been practicing for 10 Uh years. It's going to take some time to start learning to embody something new. So you have to be patient with yourself. You have to see just as long as I've been practicing this thing that I don't want to be anymore, Uh that I don't want to do anymore. It's going to take a good amount, a chunk of that same timeline to Uh do the opposite, right? Um, But it works. I don't know how to say this is, I, I chose this work because it works. I did... You know, I did cognitive behavioral therapy, like I was in therapy for, mm-hmm. you know, maybe four or five years. It didn't work. I didn't find myself changed. I didn't feel that anything transformed. I felt like I did a lot of talking and I had mm-hmm. a lot of good ideas about what I wanted out of my life. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of good ideas about what I wanted to change, but it mm-hmm. never actually happened because I would go home after therapy and then the behavior shows up and then the behavior, you know, these automatic behaviors under pressure. I didn't know how to change them. It was like so quick. I didn't like, they happen so quickly that we're like, Oh, that's just me. 
Yeah. That's just how I am. Yeah. Right. That's just it's how hard I am. to just like think that you can physically change that because you've been doing it for so long, like you said. And so, um, I feel like there's always like that disconnect, like, okay, but I'm going to therapy. Like it just should be quit. Like this should be gone. Like I'm, I'm I should quitting. be completely like cured, but it doesn't work that quickly. And it's not like that. So, um, having you go over that, that it does take time and it's going to take repetitions and yeah, trial and error and all of that is very like easing to realize like it's, it's a process. It's not going to happen Absolutely. overnight. And Absolutely. It, and you can't just work from the neck up. Yes. You can't just work with your mental perspective mm-hmm. and your thoughts and your narrative, exactly. um, which is a lot of what cognitive behavioral therapy works on. It's like, mm-hmm. what's your perspective? Why are you doing that? It's so much of uh, like one sided. Yeah, it ignores the neck down. It ignores that when you're angry, actually your body starts to do something before your mind can even think about it. Right? So when true. somebody taps you on the shoulder, Okay, from behind. Are you gonna think, oh, that is probably just my brother? Or are you gonna are you like gonna do this? Gonna, what, happens, what happens first? Yeah. What happens first? Yeah. Does this happen first? Or it's like, <laughs> or, oh no, that's my brother, right? Yeah. Your body. We we're talking about pressure. Yeah. That tap on the shoulder is just a, a um a metaphor for everything that happens in life. When your mom calls you and she's like, Where are you? And I told you to get here, what happens first? Are you gonna sit and think, oh, she's just upset and it's not about me? Or are you gonna be like your reaction like starts freaking out? Yeah. <laughs> the somatic reaction under pressure, the bodily reaction under pressure happens so quickly that you don't have time to change your mental perspective about it. Okay? You don't have time to have a thought that this isn't the way that it should be behaving, which is why we work with the body. We work with the behavior that comes up first under pressure. And when you start practicing a new behavior under pressure, then when that tap on the shoulder happens, your body doesn't actually go there as quickly anymore. You're like, oh, there's a new way. Drop my shoulders. I can take a breath. And then show up in a different way. So so this like neck up versus neck down. And somatics is like, it's the whole thing. It's the whole thing. And it's like, it's beautiful. It honestly, is like, I feel like everyone who doesn't know about this should know about this. So <laughs> it's, it's like amazing, honestly, because I think it's like a disconnect with all the other um, therapies available. It's not that it doesn't work, but there's something missing. And so people don't always feel like they're getting their... Um, full solution or cure when they're going to therapy and it kind of makes sense because of that whole your body isn't being changed it's just you're trying to change one thing your thoughts and your mindset and it's it's two together so um it's very very crazy and amazing (laughs) yeah and you know I think um I think it's part of I don't want to say trend because that has a negative connotation but I think Everywhere you look in every field that has to do with health or wellness, and we were talking about this earlier, Uh um, everything is moving towards a more holistic approach. Uh Everything is working towards, we're not just trying to solve 
a problem or a disease. We're trying to look at the whole body of the person and understand how everything is coming together to, to create this condition, right? So when, when, when I first start to work with someone, I'm looking at all of it. I'm looking at their, their perspective. I'm looking at the narratives that they hold. I'm looking at the way they show up in their body. And I'm looking at how all of that comes together. That is how all of that comes together to create this condition that this person no longer wants. And then the solution is the whole body as well, is the whole system as well. I'm looking at how do we bring the mind, how do we bring the body in alignment with transforming this thing. And so we look, we, again, the whole, that holistic approach of mind, body, spirit um, to get to a better state of wellness. And I'm really happy to see that this is happening across the field, across all different industries. Yes, I've been seeing it so much. Like, like I was mentioning, everyone's trying to um, get a better like hold on why we're giving medicines to whoever and now there's pharmacogenomics where you can physically get someone's genetic makeup and see what dose what medicine what you should be taking what you shouldn't be taking how your body metabolizes that medicine if you're a high metabolizer a low metabolizer and like sometimes the news you get isn't what you're expecting but at least like there's an answer and you're not kind of just trying one thing or another and so I feel like the world is just an endless like just growing everywhere so I think it's going to be awesome what everyone's doing together so um I have another question for you do you feel like there's a stigma in reaching out for therapy specifically and just the grand scheme of everything right now um you know I'll I'll say yes and we're moving um in a direction of less and less stigma um, but it hasn't entirely disappeared, especially in um, communities of color. I think in uh, faith communities and different ethnic communities, especially uh, people like us who are first generation children of immigrants, um, there is still a cultural stigma around asking for help. And I think the reason for that is um, in our cultures, which are collectivist cultures, cultures where um, there are more group dynamics, um, we used to have, like, in those cultures, in the context of living in tribes, there already was a therapist, like, embedded in the tribe. It was like the auntie that was a really good listener. Yeah. Or the grandma who was like a healer. And so when in collectivist culture, when we used to live in tribes, we had those emotional needs naturally met inside of that group. There was always someone to go to. There was always that deeply empathetic person. And that's actually evolutionarily, biologically a fact that like... 10 to 15% of the human population has is highly sensitive and highly empathetic. And so in any given community or tribe or family, you had one person at least who is deeply empathetic, deeply sensitive. And they were like the default therapist. We just didn't have that word for it. We didn't call them therapists. Yeah. We called them like the village healer or like 
you know, or, or you just kind of intuitively knew who to go to. The, the thing with individualist culture, which is more Western culture, is like you're on your own. You got to just go figure it out on your own. You're building on your own. You're making money on your own. You have a micro family. There isn't really this. We don't really plug into a macro family. It's just like you and your spouse and your children. In individualist Western culture, we don't have access to the village to the tribe, to the person that usually would be that source of empathy and listening. And so we have this entire field that has developed to replace that therapists, coaches, right? And so what, um, what I try, um, to, to, to relay through my Instagram and, and, and kind of public speaking that I do is therapy and coaching and this kind of individual help is not a modern phenomenon. We've actually been doing it as a human species um, for thousands and thousands of years. We've always looked to a guide, a mentor, um, the, the elders in the community to give us that type of emotional support. But because we now live all on our own, separated from family, everybody lives in a different city, everybody lives in a different state, everybody has their own apartment, their own house. Because we no longer have access to that, we had to evolve the way that we did this thing called emotional support. And we had to create something to fill that gap, to fill that role. And so... Um, that is one way we can help dismantle the stigma is for people to realize it is a very natural human um, uh, tendency to look outside of ourselves for support, for guidance, for advice. Um, it is not a modern phenomenon, okay? And I think once we see that and understand it, it is a very core human need to need other people to support you through this yeah. thing called life, um, we can start to break down that stigma in our communities. Um, this is how I kind of helped my mom understand it. Like she was like, why do you, why does somebody need a life coach? Right. Yeah. I'd be like, mama, when you were down, like when you were in Algeria and you were having a tough time and you were going through medical school with two children, could you go to and yeah. with my grandma? I would lay in her lap and cry, you know, yeah. and, and it's like, that's, that's what this is about. Yeah. We don't have access to our, unfortunately, especially for people like us who live in diaspora, yeah. we don't have access to the elders, access to the aunties, access to the grandmothers and life coaching and therapy and facilitation is about helping to fill that gap in our human experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just going back to your question, yes, the stigma, the stigma still exists, especially in um, in our communities. The stigma is like, oh, you're weak. Why yeah. would you someone to help you? Um, why can't you just figure it out on your own? Why would you tell your problems to another person? Oh, wow. There's also a lot of shame of like, keep your keep your problems in house. Yourself. Don't 
you know, like don't share, don't aflah, you know. Yeah. Oh Lord. Don't embarrass us. Talking to my mom, and she was she's like, "You have a life coach?" I was like, "Yeah, what's wrong with that?" And she was like, "So surprised." I'm like, "It's helping me be a better person." So I don't think there's an issue with it. I don't think someone should be judged because of it. It doesn't mean that you're weak because you have a life coach. It doesn't mean that there's no. something wrong with you because you no. have a life coach. So no. I think and this is the way <laughs> this is the way we should be describing it to our parents' generation to help them see and understand yeah. that actually we've been we we've been doing this for millennia, like for thousands of years as human beings. It just now looks different and it's yeah. in a different structure and it's a different format. You know what I like to think about is like the angels. I mean, if you're from Muslim culture and you adhere to like, you know, uh, Muslim, like, you know, legend and stories. Um, and even in, in Christian tradition, there was this understanding that the prophets didn't go through their prophethood alone. They always had a guiding angel that helped them through the difficult times. Almost every single prophet in our tradition had a life coach. Okay. Okay. Exactly. Angel Jibril. Angel, like yes. the angels were that source of comfort and help and guidance and mentorship um, for the prophets. Uh, peace be upon them that they serve. All, obviously, all of that is a little cheeky. I'm not. I'm yeah, not no, I totally. Life I coaching. can't go. To but them. I'm. But I'm trying to show that like this is just an innate human need, and I hope that as a community, as us first generation in the U.S. or second generation, whatever you might be, that we start to help break down that stigma and dismantle those barriers so that people can get the help that they need. Um, there's a lot of pain and there's a lot of intergenerational trauma in our communities. Like our parents left their homeland some because they had to, some of them because they felt like they had no other option and moved to this foreign country. And I don't know that they've ever really processed the difficulty of all of that. They kind of had to figure it out on their own. And some of the strategies they have, you know, it made them a little harder. It made them a little tougher It made them, you know, a lot of our parents have a very similar thick skin and we're like, oh, but we don't need to be that way anymore. You know, like we're yeah. here, we're, we're settled. Yeah. We can thrive instead of just having this grittiness of survival. Yeah. And um, yeah, so I hope our, our generation can help. Yeah, um, no, I, I totally agree with everything that you said, because like you said, it, it's just that, that common tradition to not ask for help and do everything on your own. So um, knowing that it's, not going to make you less of a person to ask for help. Like everyone needs help. Everyone needs guidance. We go to school like to learn. So, I mean, you're going to be learning for the rest of your life. So, um, I don't think it should be looked down upon or like you should feel ashamed because you have someone. I mean, if anything, it's making you a better person all around. So, um, I totally, totally agree with you 100% though. Um, so I guess kind of rolling off of that, who can really benefit from having a life coach then? Or who would be the best candidate you feel like? You know, um, I think going back to that structure that I was talking about of like the tribe, um, the village, 
um, somebody in the tribe, in the family, in the village that serves that role. I think coaching is for people who don't have that. I think if you have a beautiful support structure where you can really go to someone in your family or someone in your close circle and pour out your heart and, and talk about what's painful and talk about what you're struggling with, and you have a wise person in your life that shows up for you and helps you through that, then you're good. I think you can, I think you can make it, you know? Um, I think coaching is for people who find that there is a void in their life in that way, that there really isn't a single person that they can go to, to be fully honest, to kind of show the shadow side of things, um, to talk about their struggles or else maybe they have people that they can talk to, but they don't feel like they're receiving the support back, right? Because you can talk to your friends about like, oh my God, this is what I'm struggling with, this is what hurts. But if there isn't anyone in the group that can give you you know, guidance and has the time to, to kind of sit with you and work with you through those things, um, then there is a void, then there is a gap. I felt that void in my own life, which is why I hired a coach myself. I mean, I have a coach, I'm a coach and I have a coach. Um, it's because, um, that void is real and it needs to be filled. Um, in order to have a fully, I believe, a fully thriving life. If you have that support system, beautiful. Uh, I think coaching is for people who are lacking that support, that emotional support system in their life. Oh, I totally, I think that's beautiful. Yeah. No, I feel like that's definitely um, a common theme. Like you might have people you can talk to about things, but if they're not giving you that guidance or support, you're actually missing. It kind of defeats the purpose of having someone to talk to. Um, or you just need that extra push that you kind of are missing and you might have those people, but there's just something missing and you're not going to get that from just having like a support group or just like friends or someone you could talk to. So I totally feel like that's, that's a common theme as well. Um, what is your mission as a life coach? Mm, that's a good question. <laughs> You know, I always ground in my background um, and who I am, um, you know, a Muslim woman, a daughter of immigrants, um, living in the West, living in the U.S. And um, my mission is uh, related to that, attached to that. My mission is to help women like me um, into a state of thriving and not just surviving. I think um, I think Muslim women are um, superheroes. <laughs> I think yes. they've got a lot of magic to yeah. share in the world, especially in the U.S. And I would like to see my generation of women um, living in the U.S. like leaders, the change makers the ones who are paving paths for other people, the ones who are on, you know, different platforms, um, sharing their voice, sharing their knowledge in the world. But a lot of the time, what there's um, something blocking people from that level of thriving. And my hope is to be a small part of helping 
dissolve those blockages, helping dissolve those barriers so that the incredible women that I know can really thrive, can really shine. Um, and, you know, the other piece of it is um, really helping to heal um, intergenerational trauma in our communities so that we don't pass that trauma down to the next generation. You know, there's this whole field of epigenetics um, that studies how trauma gets passed down in the DNA from generation to generation. And I think for a lot of um, immigrant families like ours who came from some pretty traumatizing circumstances um, from the homeland uh, carried that with them. And then it's like, how are we carrying that in our system? And how do we heal that so that, that we don't pass that on to the next generation? So that the generations of the children of immigrants in the U.S., again, are thriving and not just surviving or trying to figure it out. Um, so that's, that's, that's my mission. That's my goal. That's my hope um, and the vision that I have for myself. Oh, I think that's beautiful. No, I feel like that that is a common theme with a lot of Muslim girls. Just just in my group of friends, like we feel like there's always like a stigma if we do something or if we want to pursue something, someone's going to say something about us or mm. you're just being judged. So um, I do 100% believe that's still around. It exists, and a lot of people sadly will not do something because of the fact that they'll be judged and so um I, I think that's the best service you can give anyone because if more people were not so worried about what people are going to say about them or being judged then there would they would be thriving like their lives will be better because of it so it's absolutely beautiful oh so so i'm so glad that i was able to get you on today <laughs> um, oh, this is so sweet what a beautiful conversation yes um so tell everyone how they can find you if they want to reach out to you or um have any questions for you regarding this interview or anything I'm on Instagram and my, my page is public. It's iman.bundawi. Um, pretty easy to find if you know how to spell my name. <laughs> um, but I'm sure you'll, you'll yes, have that. I'll put that all in my show notes yeah, for everyone. And that's, that's the best way to reach me. Yes. Well, I'm so glad I was able to have you on. And I really, again, thank you so much for your time. I know you have a busy schedule. And so I appreciate you being on my show today. And with everything, um, it's a beautiful day to have a beautiful day. Bye, everyone. A dose of wine and body. A dose of wine and body. A dose of